Volume Two, Chapter Eleven of Gwen Wynne. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Paul Stevens. Gwen Wynne, A Romance of the Wye by Maine Reed. Volume Two, Chapter Eleven. A Startling Cry. During all this while, Wingate has not spoken a word though he also has observed the same figure in the pavilion. With face that way he could not avoid noticing it, and easily guesses who she is. Had he any doubt, the behaviour of the other would remove it. "'Miss Wynne, for sartin,' he thinks to himself, but says nothing. Again turning his eyes upon his patron, he notes the distraught air, with head drooping, and feels the effect in having to contend against the rudder ill-directed but he forbears making remark at such a moment his interference might not be tolerated perhaps resented and so the silence continues not much longer a thought strikes the waterman and he ventures a word about the weather it is done for a kindly feeling for he sees how the other suffers but in part because he has reason for it the observation is we're going to have the biggest kind of rainpour captain the captain makes no immediate response. Still in the morose mood, communing with his own thoughts, the words fall upon his ear unmeaningly, as if from a distant echo. After a time it occurs to him that he has been spoken to, and asks, What did you observe, Wingate? That there be a rainstorm threatening of the grandest sort. There's flood enough now, but afore long it'll be all over the meadows. Why do you think that? I see no sign. The sky is very much clouded, true, but it has been just the same for the last several days. Taint the sky as tells me, Captain. What, then? The he-quall. The he-quall? Yes. It's been a-cacklin' all through the afternoon and evening, a special loud just as the sun were settin'. I never knowed it do that, yout plenty o' wet comin' soon after. Rycroft's interest is aroused, and for the moment forgetting his misery, he says, You're talking enigmas, Jack. At least they are so to me. What is this barometer you seem to place such confidence in? Beast, bird, or fish? It be a bird, Cap'n. I believe the gentry folks call it a woodpecker, but bout here it be more generally known by the name Hequal. The orthography is according to Jack's orthopy, for there are various spellings of the word. Anyhow, he proceeds, it gives warning on a rain same as a weather-glass. When it ha' been laughing in the mad way it wore most part of this day, you may look out for a downpour. Besides, the owls have been a-doing their best, too. While I were waiting for ye in that darksome hole, one went sailing up and down the backwash, every now and then swishing close to my ear and gin a screech, as if I hadn't enough of the disagreeable to think of. They allus come that way when one's feeling out of sorts, just as if they wanted to make things worse. Hark! Do ye hear that, Cap'n? I did. They speak of a sound that has reached their ears from below, down the river. Both show agitation, but most the waterman, for it resembled a shriek as of a woman in distress. Distant, just as one he heard across the wooded ridge on that fatal night after parting with Mary Morgan. He knows now that must have been her drowning cry, and has often thought since whether, if aware of it at the time, he could have done aught to rescue her. Not strange that with such a recollection he is now greatly excited by a sound so similar. "'That weren't no he-quoll, nor screech-owl, neither,' he says, speaking in a half-whisper. "'What do you think it was?' asks the captain, also sotto voce. 
the scream of a female. I'm most sure to her that. It certainly did seem a woman's voice, in the direction of the court, too. Yes, it come that way. I've half a mind to put back, and see if there be anything amiss. What say you, Wingate? Gee the word, sir, I'm ready. The boatman has his oars out of the water, and holds them so. Rycroft still undecided. Both listen with bated breath. But, whether woman's voice or whatever the sound, they hear nothing more of it. Only the monotonous ripple of the river, the wind mournfully sighing through the trees upon its banks, and a distant brattle of thunder, bearing out the portent of the bird. "'Like as not,' says Jack, "'twere some of them servant girls screeching in play, for having had a drop too much to drink. There's a Frenchy thing among em as were gone nigh three sheets in the wind before I left. I think, Captain, we may as well keep on.' The waterman has an eye to the threatening rain, and dreads getting a wet jacket. But his words are thrown away, for meanwhile the boat, left to itself, has drifted downward, nearly back to the entrance of the byway, and they are once more within sight of the kiosk on the cliff. There all is darkness, no figure distinguishable. The lamps have burnt out, or been removed by some of the servants. "'She has gone away from it,' is Rycroft's reflection to himself. I wonder if the ring be still on the floor, or has she taken it with her? I'd give something to know that. Beyond he sees a light in the upper window of the house, that of a bedroom, no doubt. She may be in it, unrobing herself before retiring to rest, perhaps standing in front of a mirror, which reflects that form of magnificent outline he was once permitted to hold in his arms, thrilled by the contact, and never to be thrilled so again. Her face in the glass— what the expression upon it? Sadness or joy? If the former she is thinking of him, if the latter of George Shenstone. As this reflection flits across his brain, the jealous rage returns, and he cries out to the waterman, Row back, Wingate! Pull hard and let us home! Once more the boat's head is turned upstream, and for a long spell no further conversation is exchanged. Only now and then a word relating to the management of the craft, as between rower and steerer. Both have relapsed into abstraction, each dwelling on his own bereavement. Perhaps both never carried two men with sadder hearts or more bitter reflections. Nor is there so much difference in the degree of their bitterness. The sweetheart, almost bride, who has proved false, seems to her lover not less lost than to hers she who has been snatched away by death. As the Mary runs into the slip of backwater, her accustomed mooring-place, and they step out of her, the dialogue is renewed by the owner, asking, "'Will you want me in the morrow, Captain?' "'No, Jack.' "'How soon do you think? Excuse me for questioning, but young Mr. Powell have been here the day, to know if I could take him and a friend down the river all the way to the channel. It's for sea-fishing or duck-shooting or something of that sort, and they want to engage the boat most part of a week.' "'But, if you say the word, they must look out for somebody else. "'That be the reason of my asking when you need me again.' "'Perhaps never.' "'Oh, Captain, don't say that. "'Tain't as I care about the boat's hire or the big pay you've been giving me. "'Believe me, it ain't. "'You can have me and the Mary without a sixpence of expense, long as you like. "'But to think I'm never to row you again, that have vexed me dreadful. "'Maybe more than you give me credit for, Captain.' "'More than I give you credit for? "'It couldn't, Jack.' We've been too long together for me to suppose you actuated by mercenary motives. Though I may never need your boat again, or see yourself, don't have any fear of my forgetting you. And now, as a souvenir, and some slight recompense of your services, take this. 
the waterman feels a piece of paper pressed into his hand its crisp rustle proclaiming it a banknote it is a tenor but in the darkness he cannot tell and believing it only a fiver still thinks it too much for it is all extra of his fare with a show of returning it and indeed the desire to do so he says protestingly i can't take it captain you have paid me too handsomely already nonsense man i haven't done anything of the kind besides that isn't for botar nor yourself only a little do sir by way of present to the good dame inside the cottage asleep i take it that case i accept but won't my mother be grieved to hear of you going away she thinks so much of you captain will you let me wake her up i'm sure she'd like to speak a parting word and thank you for this big gift no no don't disturb the dear old lady in the morning you can give her my kind regards and parting compliments say to her when i return to herefordshire if i ever do she shall see me for yourself take my word should i ever again go rowing on this river it will be in a boat called the mary pulled by the best waterman on the wye modest though jack wingate be he makes no pretence of misunderstanding the recondite compliment but accepts it in its fullest sense rejoining i call it flattery captain if it had come from anybody but you but i know ye never talk nonsense and that's just why i be so sad to hear ye say you're going off for good i feel so bad bout losing poor mary it makes it worse now losing you good night the hussar officer has a horse which has been standing in a little lean-to shed under saddle the lugubrious dialogue has been carried on simultaneously with the bridling and the good night is said as rycroft springs up on his stirrup then as he rides away into the darkness and jack wingate stands listening to the departing hoof-stroke at each repetition more indistinct he feels indeed forsaken forlorn only one thing in the world now worth living for but one to keep him anchored to life his aged mother end of volume 2 chapter 11